So two weeks ago, we dropped off my daughter at college. I think when my parents did that way back in the day, I think they left the car running. But, <laughs> but things have changed, and now they need two days to, to uh, reassure the nervous parents that it's going to be all right and that they have, have figured out how to help your child succeed. So for two days, we listen to lectures while they explain to us it's all going to be okay. Um, uh, and these are the sorts of things, the programs and the, the principles that we apply in order to help your child succeed. So they did that, and they did such a good job that eventually I was willing to leave her behind and um, uh, come home. And they did it actually so well that I remember thinking to myself, I wish they had done this when I was going to college. And the thing is, they probably did. But I was of an age and of a temperament not to pay any attention. So if they did, and I honestly don't remember, if they did, I don't remember any of it. So really what I was was getting at in my kind of wish that I had had that is, I wish that I had paid attention. I wish that I had done the things that I'm sure my school must have offered in terms of the programs, to the helps to, to allow people to get through college better. Um, if they had, maybe I would have um, passed calculus not um, on the third time, but on the first. Maybe I would have gotten through in four years instead of in five. Maybe I would have ended with less student loan debt, and maybe I would have not lost my scholarships. So I wish I had uh, followed the advice that they gave during orientation. And I tell you that because this is kickoff Sunday. This is the first Sunday of our regular program year. Uh, the last couple of months, it's been summer, and not just in Alaska, but especially in Alaska, it's common for churches to say, you know what, we're not going to get anything done because nobody's going to be here, and you know the people who are are going to be too busy covering for the people who aren't. So we're not going to get anything new done. And so we just kind of take it easy during the summer. We get through the summer, and then we kind of have a big fall launch, and we start up in the fall, and we say, okay, our program year is starting. So, for example, we're starting our Sunday school today. Um, uh, but... But it's not just aimed at children. Uh, the, the fall kickoff is really aimed at everybody who attends, uh, uh, who is part of a church. And so uh, typically in, a, in a, a fall kickoff, people will say, you know, this would be a great time for you to uh, join a small group or maybe start a new small group. It would be a great time for you to figure out a way that you can serve in the church or maybe serve with the church in the community. And so it's very typical for a church to have a fall kickoff, and we do that sort of thing. But Jesus says, hold on. Before you plunge into that, let's stand back a little bit, and let's have a new student orientation. And I know a lot of you are not new students, but it's worth listening again, like like me listening to the new student orientation 38 years after my own. It's worthwhile to listen to what Jesus has to say. And what he says is how we can have success as a student in his school. If we're going to be apprentices of Jesus, if we're going to study in the school of Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples, we should listen to Jesus tell us how we can have success at that. And so what I want to do is I want to look at chapter 14. And if you've got to leave early, what he says is do it with all your heart. Do discipleship wholeheartedly. Don't dabble at being a disciple. So chapter 14 um, it begins this way, um, a man hearing, uh, we're going to be reading in verse 15, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, this man <clears throat> is at a table, uh, Jesus has been invited to a, 
to a banquet and there's been um, a bunch of people who are jockeying for position. This was very common in the first uh, first century. People wanted to be at the, the high table, not the low table. And Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus says, uh, seat, at the lo- seat yourself at the low table and let the host exalt you. Let the host bring you up to a higher level table. That's exactly what we heard last week. Paul was writing in, in Philippians, and he said this is really what Jesus did, that he was God, but he did not grasp his godhood, but rather emptied himself, came down to earth, served as a servant, even dying on a cross, and ultimately trusted that God would raise him up. And so this is this is a recurring theme we see throughout the scriptures. When the gospel talks about how we can get ahead, the answer is to take the low place. And Jesus has just told the crowd to do that. And I think that they they kind of ignored him. So he tells a he tells an example. He tells a story. You know, I know you're not going to do that. So here's an idea: don't even invite these people to your parties because they'll repay you. Instead, invite poor people and and the blind and the crippled and the lame. He says, invite them to your parties instead. And that's when this man, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaims, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And I think he's just trying to change the subject. Jesus is making him nervous. And so he says, let's talk about something happier. Let's talk about the great banquet in heaven. And Jesus replies with this story. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. This is the first invitation. Back in that culture, it was common you would send out a first round of invitations and say, um, you know, we're having a wedding or whatever the occasion was. We're having a great feast. Save the date. But it was more than a save the date because you actually did a reply. You said, yes, I can attend or no, I can't. Um, so, so the only people who get a second invitation are the ones who say on the first invitation, yes, I'm coming. So he invites a bunch of people, sends out the invitations, and when the banquet is ready... He sends his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. So this is the second invitation. Now, because everybody who gets the second invitation has already agreed to come, you've got to have a really good excuse now to say no. And um, so people, but, but people do. It says, they all began making excuses. One said, I bought a field, must inspect it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Now, these are flimsy excuses. Uh, they may not be obvious to us. They may sound, they may have like a lot of excuses. They may sound like a halfway decent excuse. But again, this is something you've already committed to do. So there's some study questions. If you want to understand kind of the deeper under, uh, the deeper uh, background of this parable, um, there's some questions in the program that you can use to dig into that a little bit and understand just how flimsy they are. But they are transparent, flimsy um, excuses. And it's not just one or two people who are doing it. Everybody does it. He says they all began to make excuses. Why would that happen? It's because he's being frozen out. He's being ostracized. He's being snubbed. People have decided we're going to teach that upstart a lesson. He can't throw a banquet or he can throw a banquet, but nobody important will come to it. So he says, okay, well, what do I do now? What do I do if nobody important will come to my banquet? He says, I'll do what Jesus just said a couple of paragraphs to do. I will invite people who will never repay me. I'll invite the poor and the crippled, the blind. And so he tells his, he tells his servant, um, uh, <clears throat> go quickly out into the streets and alleys of the town, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the guy goes out, he, you know, finds the people who sleep under the overpass and the people in the encampments. He says, come to this banquet. 
and they do. But then the servant comes to the master and he says, there's still room for more. And now this is a choice point for the person throwing the party. What's he going to do? There's room now in case one of those other people says, oh, he's still going to have the party. Hmm. Maybe he knows something. I don't know. Maybe I better come. He's leaving and he could leave his, his, um, his options open. He could leave a few places in case some of those first invited people decided to come after all. So he could hedge his bets. He could save some room. He's already proven his point, but he could save some room for those other people who snubbed him. But what does he do? He doubles down. He says to the servant, go out into the country lanes. You've already, you've already beat the bushes here in town. I want you to go out into the countryside. In the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so the house will be full. For none of those I find, uh, I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. You know, there, there's a little lesson here. It's okay to be backed into discipleship. It's okay if Jesus arranges circumstances in your life so you actually have to do what he told you. That's okay. You shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel like somehow that's a wrong thing to do at that point because it's the only choice you've got. That's still discipleship. But Jesus says, okay, if you find yourself in that place, now what? What are you going to do? Are you going to keep your options open? Are you going to hedge your bets and say, well, I want to be a disciple, but I also want to leave some room in case I choose not to? Jesus says, no, go whole hog. Go into the limit. Jump in the deep end of the pool, not the shallow end. So that's his parable. And then Jesus uh, uh, shifts, the, the, the Luke shifts the scene. Um, presumably the rest of the dinner uh, happened, and maybe the next morning at some time thereafter, a large crowd was following Jesus. So this is not the dinner conversation, but he's going to make the same point here. A large crowd is following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Does he mean to hate your father and mother, your wife and children, your brother and sister? No, he does not mean that. Um, we, we, we know he doesn't mean that because uh, in the very next chapter, he's going to tell his most famous parable of all, about a father who loves his son and a brother who doesn't. Next week, we're going to look at a lesson where Jesus is having an argument with some people, and he says, of course you have to love your father and mother. That is bedrock to to what it is God requires from the Jewish people. He says, that is foundational. You You can't come up with some fancy theological reason why you can avoid the very basics of the faith. Jesus, we're gonna, that, that's we're going to start that next week. Um, but Jesus is not saying to hate people. He's saying, by comparison, they have to be of lower priority than being my disciple. And the reason for that in the first century is, and, and maybe to, to a large degree still today, if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever comes, there's going to be opportunities where people say, if you loved me, you wouldn't do that. If you had any respect for the family name, if you wanted to follow in the tradition of the family, then you would finish school. You would do the thing that we're asking you to do instead of following Jesus. You're going to say, you must not love us. And Jesus says, you need to be prepared for that if you're going to be my disciple. And so he goes on. He says, um, 
if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. He says, know that up front, that that's going to happen. He says, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. Suppose you decided, all right, I am sold out. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm going to do whatever Jesus tells me to do. And you do that for a month, and then it gets hard. And you say, you know what? I've had enough of this Jesus stuff. Is everybody going to applaud and say, good for you. You, you, you figured out Jesus was a hoax and don't even go for that stuff? No, they're going to laugh. They're going to say, I, we could have told you that a month ago, but you didn't listen. Jesus says, you won't get credit with people if you quit halfway in. They're not going to say, good, you came to your senses. They're going to say, you're a fool to ever have started. He says, don't start unless you plan to finish, because no one's going to no one's going to give you credit for stopping. They're going to say you shouldn't have started. And he goes on. He says, What king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, what does he do? He says, How can I get out of this situation? What's it going to cost me? So he he he, he sues for peace. He says, I'll give you this much tribute. You can have those four towns on the border we've been arguing over. Just let's not have this war right now. You know, I have escaped with my life, and maybe someday we'll sort that all out in the future. Maybe not. But in the meantime, um, I've bought myself some time. So Jesus says, you would sue for peace. Don't go to war unless you're prepared to take it to the conclusion. He says, unless you're ready to go all the way, don't do it. He says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So what is the point? Jesus sums it up this way. He says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Salt is either salt or it's not. It's a binary thing. It, it's either salt or else it's some kind of mineral substance, but it's not salt anymore. That it either does its job or it doesn't. You're either a disciple or you're not. In today's terminology, we would say you can't be a little bit pregnant. Jesus would say you can't be a little bit of a disciple. He says, flavorless salt is, is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus says, this is new student orientation if you're going to be a disciple. If you're going to if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to apprentice yourself to me, if you're going to be matriculating in the school of Jesus, this is what you have to know. Now, he doesn't mean this is what it takes to be saved. And in fact, if you read in the next, in the next uh, chapter, Jesus says, essentially, everybody has been sent a letter from the admissions office. Everybody has been admitted. But he says there is rejoicing in heaven when someone accepts. So this is not about salvation. This is a not, not about whether or not you get to go to heaven when you die. We've been over that back during the past when we looked at Revelation. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my student, how will you succeed? How is it that you can succeed? You know, something about the school of Jesus is it's very costly. It's the most expensive school there is, but everybody gets a scholarship. In fact, there's nobody in the whole school who could pay the tuition 
So everybody gets a scholarship because Jesus has paid it for us. So you're in the school. The question is, how can you be a good student? When I was, when I was in college, before I flamed out <laughs> in the chemistry major, I spent a lot of time in classes with pre-meds, the people who are now doctors or research chemists, heaven forbid. And the question I got tired of hearing when I was a chemistry student was from the pre-meds, and they would say, is this going to be on the test? Because all they wanted to learn was the things they needed to pass the class with a high grade. Jesus is saying, don't be that kind of student. Don't keep asking yourself, is this on the test? He says, consider yourself past. Now, do you want to learn something? Do you want to be my disciple? Because the way you be my disciple is not to say, "Ah, this is not going to be on the test. I don't need to worry about this. Jesus says, wholehearted discipleship, all-in discipleship is what it takes to succeed in my school. So he says, go to class. Do the reading. Complete the assignments. Join a study group. The way I finally got through Calculus 3 is Joe Damaris and I were both kind of in the same boat. I don't know how many times he'd flunked it, but I know for me it was my third try. And Joe Damaris and I got together, and neither one of us was a star pupil. But what we did is we encouraged each other. And we got through the class. When I didn't feel like doing the homework or when I thought it was too hard, he'd say, let's keep at it, and vice versa. Jesus is telling us, if we're going to be a student, go at it with all the intensity we can have. Join a study group. This is why you hear me say so often, you should be part of a small group, because you need your Joe Damaris, who can help you get through whatever it is Jesus is presenting to you. You need to go to class. You need to attend worship services because you never know how God, who we claim is here, is going to speak to you on a given occasion. You need to do the reading. Every one of us should be involved in a regular daily Bible reading program. We should be involved in reading the Bible and reading devotionally and praying. We need to do the reading and we need to complete the assignments. Everybody who claims to be a disciple of Jesus should find out how they are called and gifted to serve in the church and with the church in the community. Don't be the kind of disciple who says, is this on the test? Because Jesus says the way to succeed at his school is to go all in, to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scholarship you've given each of us to the most expensive school there is. We thank you that you have admitted so many to your school, and we pray you would guide us so we could be good students. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.